Hey folks, welcome back to Intelligent Living. Thanks for joining the podcast, where we have discussions about all things relating to life. You know, through science, we've learned so much about life and how to live it well, so why is it that we tend to live so foolish? Well, it's time to use that science so that we can live life with some intelligence. We can live longer, happier, more purposeful and productive lives for ourselves and for others. And this is called Intelligent Living. So here we're going to learn, laugh, live, last, and love. Thanks for joining the conversation. You know, none of us grew up in a vacuum as fathers or as parents. We all, we grew up somewhere. We grew up in some environment. And, and everything, and it does affect us. Everything we learn growing up does have impact on our life, the way we are, the way we operate. And as time goes on, those things get changed out. We, 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 we operate one way, but in Christ, we learn to operate a different way, right? Everything about our lives. So we, we grow up as a pastor. I'm a young man. We grow up, become a pastor or a father or a mother or a parent or whoever we are, a single person this morning. <clears throat> so we didn't grow up in this vacuum. So everything that's happened to us does really affect how we relate to people and what we do or don't do. In other words, what happened to us at a very young age has lasting influence. So, you think about the time you and I live in, and I really meant, and I really do mean this. It's it's a Father's Day message for all of us. But how in the world do we really make it through the times we live in? I mean, these are crazy times. People do crazy things every single day. It's hard to believe how dumb people are, isn't it? I mean, look on just any news thing. You see, people do acts. They do things. They get mad. They shoot people over hamburgers, over hot, I mean, just come on, and people have lost their minds, and I've said this before, you're in the church, and you're saved, you know, you operating at two cylinders is better than most people operating at eight that are sinful, people that are lost, they're actually lost, a lot of them are, you name it, and so, you and I as Christians, so how, during this time, how do we survive this time, how do we make it through this, and so, the scripture I'm going to read in a moment, it's not your everyday father's message or uh, I should say scripture but there's something about it that really spoke to me and I'm going to zero in on the first point the second and third we'll get to in another week but it has to do with influence it has to do with influence I want you kind of follow along with me the the first point we're going to be covering will be pretty simple the power of influence that continues in a positive way The second point we're going to cover later on, we must be willing to ask ourselves why we are really here and what do we want for God to do. And the third point will be by by our willingness to adapt our wills to the will of God, even when we make it makes no sense. So those are my three points. I'm going to zero in on one in a moment. I read this article about the president and I thought, wow, that's how it used to be. Listen to this. This man writes, the presidency... To this day, rest more on the character of the person who inhabits the office. The founding fathers designed it in a way that the idea of the president, the man that would become the president in America, he would be chosen because he has great character. And we'd let him invest who he was into our lives and shape the character of the nation. So the man that was chosen, he would be chosen, uh, all his ability, but one of the things he would look for is a man of great character. And his character would influence the character of all of us. George Washington said this when he became president. 
He said, I walk on untrodden ground. There is scarcely any part of my conduct which would not hereafter be drawn into precedent. Simply means my actions, my decisions, either serve as a guide or a bad guide or a good guide when I'm gone. But everything I do, he said, will be closely examined. He understood influence. <clears throat> but the issue this morning, I'm not going to talk about the White House. I want to talk about your house. Because really what happens in the nation, yeah, the, the, the president does matter. Absolutely it does matter. It's good to have a president that can actually speak. <laughs> who actually has a brain working in there somewhere. But it was George Bush's wife, Barbara, said, no, the real issue, the, the really what determines the course of a nation are the, is not the White House. She said, it's your house. It's your home. In other words, it's the influence that, that's in your life at home. That's where it's all going to happen. And one of the best places that people's lives can be changed and they can learn to grow and do right is the church. <clears throat> so... <clears throat> Again, I know this is not your typical Father's Day message, but follow with me because it talks about influence. It talks about life. And to me, it talks about how to survive life when it's like it is. You know, when, I, when, I, when I got married, I, no one gave me a manual on how to stay married. You know what I mean? I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't get to meet James Dobson. We got married, and just and I, most of you know the story, but we got married, and maybe you don't know the story. Carmen's my wife, <laughs> and she's still my wife. And we got married at her parents' house in a small home, justice of the peace, who was drunk, who brought his girlfriends. What a way to start a marriage. Some of you go, oh, is he for real? I'm for real. And we didn't have the option, we didn't have the luxury or I should say the benefit of having a church at that moment that we can go to and continue to go to that would guide us, that would help us. We didn't have the opportunity to hear sermons after sermons, different people preach us. Do you realize just the advantage of just being in church, even if you're only here halfway? There's so much, the advantage you get from marriage, the advantage you get from finances from Elliot and and all the men that preach about money or different things, all the things you and I gain, it's, it's, it's like we elevate our game just by showing up. And honestly, it's amazing. I've had people tell me they're not in the church, who don't attend the church regularly, and they say, <clears throat> and this, this particular person doesn't come to the church regularly at all, maybe twice a year. That's not too regular. He's not a P and E. I mean, Christmas and Easter, a C and E, a Christmas and Easter guy. But he comes every now and then. But he said, the men in the church who lead the church, the main guys in the church. He said, all of them are very good men. I know he don't know them, but anyway, uh, they are good men. But he said that. Listen, he said they're very good men. He said, what amazes me? He said they're not. Listen, he's not really a. He would not call himself a sold out Christian by any means. He says. They're good men, and they seem so committed. They're not like today's people. They're so flaky. Those guys you can depend on. And he said, you've done such a great job. And I said, don't give me the credit. They responded to God. God's done with the work in their life. So let's look at our, our verses. It's a story of Elisha helping this widow. 
You know, I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to read all that I thought I might. I'm just going to stop where the oil stops. It says, the widow of a member of the group of the prophets went to Elisha and said, Sir, my husband has died. And I preached from the exact same text on mothers in crisis. And I'm not going to revisit that sermon, but it's the same verse. So it's always got some of the same thoughts in it, the obvious thoughts. Her husband has died and she goes to the prophet. She says, Sir, my husband has died, as you know. He was a God-fearing man, but now, <clears throat> but now a man he owed money has come to take away my two sons as slaves in payment for the husband's debt. Most of you know the history, how that worked. They'd come and get the kids as long as they're old enough to labor. So the children at this moment are old enough to labor to pay off the father's debt. That's an important point. That's an important point. Elijah says, verse 2, what shall I do for you? He asked, tell me, what do you have in your house? Nothing at all except a jar of oil, she answered. He says, go to your neighbors and borrow as, as many empty vessels as you can, Elisha told her. Then go, you and your sons, into the house, close the door, and start pouring out the oil in the jars and set them aside as soon as they're full. Verse 5, so the, so the women went into her house with her sons, closed the door, took the small jar of oil, and poured into all the jars that her sons, important, brought her. And when they had filled the jars, she asked them, is there any more? And they said, that was the last one. She answered, and the olive oil stopped flowing. Let me just stop there. Let me look at what's happened here. Obvious one, the obvious thing, the husband has died. But the husband is symbolic of covering in people's lives. The husband is the the covering. And if you look at it, it's a story to me of some man or some woman or a single person it, it can be a story, obviously, of the obvious one. It's a marriage, it's a home, it's a family. But the covering in that family has been taken from them. We live in a generation, they have no spiritual coverings. There's nothing there. And, but as a believer, as we live for God, there's things that can happen in our life where our covering can be taken from us. But if you look at the word husband, interesting, because the word husband, it means a husband. It also means in contrast, it means God in contrast to man, but also means anything you would champion in life. So stay with me. As Nate would say, follow with me or you get lost. <laughs> Sounds good, but you won't get lost. But the idea here is of a lost covering of any type, a covering, a father, a mother, a pastor, a husband, whatever you have championed in life, that can be your, what you look to as your covering. My pastor, a pastor in a church offers you spiritual covering. That's what the Bible says, smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. We live a spiritual life. There's spiritual, uh, spirituality is real. What I mean is there are spiritual forces that are very real. You can't see them. You can't know them, but they're real. They're working against us, working against everything God stands for. And everything you stand for, they work against, right? They want to divide every family. They want to divide every home and divide every marriage they want to divide every couple. You name it. Adam was fine, but once Adam got married, he got into a fight. The devil looked at him and said, by himself, I ain't worried about it. He gets married, now he's a weapon in the hands of God. And then the trial, the, the, the storm came, and the trial came, and with the tree and the fruit. So 
It could be almost anything. My pastor, who's our spiritual covering, <clears throat> years, many, many years back, I say this because it's making a point here, is I have been overseas in Africa. I come back from Africa. I meet with our pastor. I don't, get, I don't remember the time sequence, the exact sequence. Generally, men aren't good on time. I'm not. I said yesterday. It was like five years ago. My mind, my kid, Nate, he's nine years old still. My, my kid. Your kid's almost 40. Well, he's still my kid. You know, in a parent's mind, it's like yesterday, but it's not yesterday. It's years have gone by. And my pastor had decided to leave the churches, leave the, quote, the fellowship. Anyone can do what they want to do. But in talking to us about it, the reasons that he gave were insufficient. Just didn't like the decisions, the bottom line. He didn't like the fact that he was not being chosen to be a leader. So what's, why would someone make a choice like that? It's because one simple word, it's the word pride. Yeah, he said, Carrie, you don't understand. They're, they're, he went on and on. Not that I agree with every single thing there is, and no one has to. But I said, you know, uh, uh, you, don't, you don't want to know us. I said, well, I don't, I don't know how this all stuff works. And people ask me all kinds of political questions or things about our fellowship. I said, I don't know. I'm just trying to show up at church Sunday and preach. I'm trying to figure out the Trinity, okay? <laughs> I'm simple. But, but what's good about it is our pastors taught us well enough to discern right from wrong. It's not, it wasn't false doctrine. It wasn't that Pastor Mitchell had another wife. It was nothing that you would think, well, that's a good reason to make. No, it was nothing like that at all. It was just a matter of not being chosen to become a leader. He had chosen these young men instead of himself, which actually is pretty wise because how many of the future belongs to the young? I look at some of the young men that are here, and I believe by the grace of God, these, some of these young men here will keep this thing going. It might just be in the local church here. Who knows? 20 years from today, some of these men, even a few years from now, they're going to be powerful men of God at a very young age. Talk to them. They're sharp, like really sharp. Because he taught us right from wrong. I said, you know, I don't know about that, Pastor. And my wife, <clears throat> she prayed. And she said, you know, this would be the biggest decision of our entire lives. And I knew that. But it didn't take much for me to decide because I knew the base of it was wrong. This is not right. This is wrong. It's ego. It's, I get that. But, but you taught me that. So you did a good job. Even though I don't agree with you, you taught me. But let me tell you something. When that covering was taken, you feel like you're left all alone. You feel like it's a weird feeling because I don't think it's supposed to ever be that way. It's like you're out there all alone. You don't have someone to call. You don't have someone to talk to. You say, well, yeah, Pastor Mitchell, well, he passes the entire fellowship. He don't know me that well, and I don't know him that well. All I know is I could do his voice. Hello, Pastor Mitchell. This is Pastor Mitchell. <laughs> I thought about doing that, but I'd probably get in trouble, be demoted, whatever that is. But anyway... It was very weird, and it's still weird to this day because that was taken away. Pastor Mitchell called, I think, one or two times in 25 years since I've been here to check on me, which is fine. He's old school. Check out how you doing. Maybe, maybe twice ever. And my own natural father, I don't think he ever called to check on me. Ever. 
that's kind of what I knew. And I, uh, you know, so if you call, you think I'm going to call and check on you, maybe 20 years. <laughs> and you say, well, how can pastor, it's just so different for him. But anyway, they're old school and that's how they operate and that's how they live. So, but not having that pastor to talk to when you're struggling or you want to talk to someone, you don't have none. And it's just so, it's just an odd thing when your covering dies. You always feel it's a little bit out of place. Let me give you an example. A, a young man was attending one of our churches, one of our better churches, I would say. A leadership church, the pastor is an unbelievable leader. He just didn't like it. Just didn't like the pastor, didn't like the people there, didn't like the staff. And um, so he said, I'm leaving. I just can't stand this place. So he leaves. He goes to, another, goes to a small church. He was a large church, went to, went to a small church in the same city. Of course, he went there and said, you know, that church over there is no good, and this church is a real thing, and that thing's over there. And he went on and said all these bad things. But as time goes on, within a short amount, within six months, he gets cancer. And now he's dying. All his relationships were in the other church for the last 15 years. Everyone over there knew him. The new church, no one even knows him. He dies. The pastor does his service. The pastor can't even pronounce his name right. That's, a, that's terrible. You left your covering. Your covering was gone. And I don't tell you who you are. There is no perfect church. We're trying to do as best we can here. You, want to pick, you can find all kinds of things wrong with me. In fact, I'll give you a few. <laughs> I'll give you a reason. But the point I'm making is, is covering. So whatever you champion in life, I don't know where you're at. Some of you may say, well, I don't look at it like that. Some of you, you, you know, you champion in life, you champion money. And so, let me tell you something. There are people last, in 2008, took their lives because what was covering them was nothing but money. And when the money, when that covering was taken away, their soul was exposed and they didn't make it through at all. They took their lives. I talked to a guy two weeks ago. Yeah, maybe, you know, maybe a week and a half ago. <clears throat> and I said, I heard cryptocurrency. I don't know nothing about cryptocurrency, by the way. I heard it, it took a big dive. He said, who told you that? I said, well, I heard that. I said, yeah. When I was talking to him in person, he said, Kerry, I lost $97,000 in 24 hours. I wanted to tell him before you lose some more, put it this way, baby. <laughs> Not to me, put it in the church. That money's gone, but when you do good for God, that goes on for eternity. When you take the money, I don't care how much money you make, thank God, make all you can, but take the money God gives you, place in your hand, be a blessing to other people, help them out, help a family. It might be paying someone's rent, it might be giving extra to the church, it might be buying something the church might need. All that's eternal. It, it may crash here, but it doesn't mean it crashes in God's kingdom. A covering is very, very important. Covering can be your, your dreams and wishes. My whole life growing up, I just throw this out quickly, was health was a big thing for me. I always took care of myself, even though I was unsaved. My brothers didn't. They were smoking pot and making money. And I was not smoking pot and not making money. <laughs> and I still remember one day walking to my bedroom, and my brother, some older brother, Ray, says, Hey, Carrie Lee, and he had, a, he had a suitcase there full of these brick back then, it was bricks of marijuana, full, and he had a big roll of $100 bills. 
My mom, my mom and dad were not, they weren't wealthy at all. They didn't make much money at all. My dad was not educated. He was my mother much. I saw all that money. I said, Carrie, you can have this too. Just get involved with me. We can, we can make some money. I said, I said, ah. I said, Ray, I can't. And the reason why I couldn't, I did not want everyone to dishonor my mother and my father. I said, that's what they want. I said, Ray, I can't do this. I can't do this to mom and dad. I said, I, I like, trust me, I like money. I want some of that money, but I'm going to dishonor mom and dad to get it. And so I always took care of myself. I watched what I ate. Not like I do today. It was different back then. You're talking, you're talking a long time ago. You're talking like five years ago. <laughs> five times five times five times five. Okay. <clears throat> but I took supplements. I did all these different things. And what's taken from me is my health. I think it's interesting that when Job, I just thought this, when Job was fighting for his spiritual life, the enemy took everything. He took his family, took his kids, didn't take his wife. Anyway, okay. <laughs> I just had a thought. Maybe he should have. I don't know. And Job's wife said, curse God and die. And God says, I ain't having that. And, and Job's wife was no more. And Job found Maria in the village and married Maria. And they went on with their lives together. But <clears throat> all that happened, but for some reason, the last thing God allowed him to do, the enemy, was touch his skin. All the other ones were out there. When you touch someone's health, you touch what's here. It's a whole new battle. And the devil says, well... Let me see if I can get this. This is the closest thing to his heart. It's, just, it's not out there no more. It's here. It's who he is. It's what he is. Let me touch that. And he says, you can touch him. You can't kill him, though. I'm telling you, it is a totally different battle. I remember one time the doctors gave me all these different prescriptions. They're giving me boils all over. Of course, I thought of Job. Some of you say, I want to be like Job. You can have your boils. You really want to be like Job? Pray. God, I want, send me through the things you sent Job through. I dare you to pray that. You, you, you stop being spiritual real quick. You say, well, I'm just kidding, Lord. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, bless me like Job. I didn't say bring me to the trial like Job, but bless me like Job. But I'm going to get all these boils all in my nose, all over. Because I said, listen, this is what you get. I'm getting boils everywhere. I got no problem. I need boils in my nose. Boils? Boils? Mocos is one thing, but boils? I mean, I'm in my back, my arm, I just, and the doctor says, no, I carry a, actually, it was a she, she's no way. Anything we're giving you won't cause that. I said, well, all I can say is this. Before, I didn't have them. I took this, and now I have them. I put two and two together. Yes, they are causing. And I'm not taking them anymore. So whatever me go back to you, your life, whatever we champion in life, whatever we put over, where we think this is it, man, I got this going on. And that's been taken. It could be your dreams. It could be everything about you've tried in life. You're in your second marriage, your third marriage. Let me tell you, I don't care who you are. There's always hope in God. Even when your covering's been taken from you, there's always hope in God. Job makes a statement to God. Listen to what Job says. He says, where is my hope? Who can see any hope for me? Job said, he said, where is my hope? Who can see any hope for me? Well, Job, you said that, and, and, and the reality was, and he didn't know that, Job, down the road, you are going to be blessed beyond. But that moment, he said, who can see any hope for me? 
Lamentations says this. I love this verse. Lamentations 3.21. He says, the reason I can still find hope that God's mercies are renewed all the time. His compassions don't fail. Great is thy faithfulness. No matter what happens, no matter why it happened, no matter what. No, listen, there is always hope. And this story, to me, it's a story of hope when that covering has been taken away. And that's exactly what has happened here. It's taken. Now, here she is. Brings me to my first point. The power of influence that continues in a positive Godly way. Train up a child in the way that he should go, teaching him to seek God's wisdom and will for his abilities and talents. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I'm talking about that which is lasting, but lasting in a good way, not a bad way, that builds a better tomorrow, and even when we don't even think about it. Deuteronomy chapter 4 says, However, be careful and watch yourselves closely. Listen, God's talking to the children of Israel. Man, does the Lord know us. He says, I want you to be careful. Why? Because we need to be careful. And he says, you need to watch yourselves that you don't forget the things I've done for you. The things that you've seen with your own eyes. Why? Because we do forget the things God's done for us. The things we've seen with our own eyes, we forget. He said, don't let them fade away from your memory as long as you live. Then he says, you teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. Influence. Someone said, to our forefathers, the Christian faith was life. To our parents, it was ritual. To us, it's an unnecessary evil. And to our children, oftentimes, it will be abandoned. Lee Haney said this, bodybuilder, he says, parents must lead by example. Don't use your cliches, do as I say, don't do as I do. We are our children's first and most important role model in their lives. Our story, the woman is coming to the preacher, or I should say she's coming to the man of God. They're coming to take her children. She really does not know what to do. So here she comes. It's just a fact. She doesn't know what to do, but she comes to Elisha first. And I talked about that in that, movie, in that sermon already, A Mother in Crisis. She said, my, my husband was in church. He was involved. We, we, I'm not going to go back through that. But the bottom line is that her husband has died. Her covering has died. She does not know what to do, but she does something. I mentioned, I'll mention it again. It, but it takes her and it drives her to God to ask for help from God. People sometimes don't know what to do, but that does not necessarily mean they're going to be driven to ask God for help to do what they need to do. Yes, it was tragedy. It was, it was tragic, absolutely, but it was positive in this sense. It was a positive outcome because it drove her to God. Plenty of people, one man said, plenty of people wish to become godly and devout, but no one wants to be humbled. <laughs> Now the man writes, for those who are religious, appearing to be devout can be a very tremendous point of secret spiritual pride. There is nothing humble about 
such public devotion, genuine humility takes place when only God is watching. A genuine, genuine humility is an assault on our ego, actually. Because to be humble, one must admit his total dependence on God and must accept the call of God to put the needs of others before his self. Only those who are filled with God's spirit will desire genuine humility. So here's the point. This woman, she knows where to find God. She knows how to locate God. She knows how to break into God's presence for her kids. Do we? Do you, young person, single man, a young couple, do you know when the coverings are taken or something tragic or like this, it's been removed from you, feel lost, you don't really know what to do? In that environment, is it enough to drive you to locate God? Not just go looking for him. She didn't just go looking. She found him. That's the difference. Parent, you may just say, where's God? You may cry out to him. No, no. She, she, I know where he is. I, I know where he lives. I got his address and I got his phone number. 1-800-GOD. I, I can locate God. I can break into God's presence. Then I thought about a few examples. We all know these examples well. Quickly, Matthew 15 talks about the Gentile woman that had a demon-possessed daughter. She cries out to Jesus, says, Jesus, have mercy on me, son of David. My daughter is demon-possessed. The enemy torments her severely. The Bible says she goes to, the, to Jesus, and the Bible says his disciples say, his disciples says, Get, send her away. She bothers us. Listen to this. The very ministry God gave them to them was a bother. She bothers you, disciple. If that was your daughter, she would not be bothered. You'd, un you'd understand a little bit more. And sometimes what people are missing is, you know, you know what? People's needs could care less about any position in a church. She don't care. Okay, okay you're head disciple. That means nothing to me. My daughter needs help. Can you help her? That's all I want to know. No, no, the disciple, the Bible said, the disciple, send her away. She says, and the disciple said that Jesus sent her away because she really bothers me. That's your ministry. The ministry that came your way to help her, you want to send away. The very thing God brings to us, because it may bother us, it may be inconvenient, it may be a little bothering, absolutely. What happens? We, don't, we, we, do, we do not want to be uncomfortable at all. I forget, I send her away. I got things to do. Really. You get some understanding. If you were married and you had a child and your child was deemed possessed, then you understand where this woman's coming from. So let me throw this in. Preach it, pastor. I am. Listen, sometimes what we, what, you know, we, we know we need like, sometimes people can give counsel sometimes so easily. You haven't even been there. What are you talking about? Oh, brother, what you need to do is this, this, this. Yeah, this is how you, had, this is how you need to arrange your marriage. See, and you need to do this, this, this. You're not even married. Or someone out there, a couple. Oh, you need to watch your kids. You need to raise your kids. And you don't have no kids yet. When you have a kid or kids and they rob you of sleep at night, then you tell me about how committed to God you are. You come to church like, eh. 
That's what happens. You got kids that wake up all night long, right? Any parent knows that you, have, you, you got one kid takes a little selfishness out of you. You got two kids takes more out of you. You got three kids. You look at a family and then they got kids. You look at a parent, mom and dad, they paid a price. They paid a big price. And they come to church and sometimes they've been robbed of sleep the night before. Oh, you can't tell. <laughs> preach it, pastor. I'm over here. Oh, preach it, pastor. Sleep. Sleep's important. If that was your daughter and she was possessed, you, you, you'd throw me to Jesus. Because it's not your daughter. It's not your problem. You don't care. And if you can even say this, since you're on a roll. Go ahead, pastor. Okay. Since you're on a roll, pastor, if you're going to go ask somebody for help or talk to someone, talk to someone who's gone through a few things. Save yourself. Listen, because people can give counsel all day long. They don't have no idea what they're even talking about. I was talking to my doctor last week, and he, one thing he said to me caught me. He says, I told him something. I won't tell you what I told him. And he said, he said, that's what gets me so mad. He said, because people have no idea what they're talking about. He said, if they, if, if they understood, if they were in your shoes, it's a whole new world. And that's how it is about anything, right? And Jesus said, your faith is great. Your request has been granted. Your daughter is healed. What I love about the story is the mom doesn't give up just because the church gave up. Her mom came to church. I was going to get help. And see, the disciples said, well, we can't sit there. You got to sit here. <laughs> no, no, get out of here. <laughs> but Scott, move. We love God over here. <laughs> my name, I'm, I'm usher disciple. I'm a disciple. My middle name is Compassion. Move. We forget the bigger picture. So it comes in. They sit. They're not supposed to sit. Pastor, they're sitting. They're not supposed to sit. Arrest them. What are you going to do? Let them sit there. They got kids. A lot of people have kids. They're demon possessed. Well, God help them. I guess. Thank God they're in God's presence. I don't know what to tell you. And I understand order. I, I get all that. But sometimes we don't see the bigger picture. And this woman says, "I don't care what you disciples say and do to me. You're not stopping me." When people have asked me, Pastor, I don't like this, and I don't like this about the church, and I don't like this, and I don't know what to do. And I said, well, do I do that? No. I said, who are you coming for? You come for God? Come to get preached to. If I did that to you, I could understand why you wouldn't want to be here either. I've told people point blank. If I was you, I'd go find another church. I, I point, I'm telling you the truth. I, you know what? You know, you, oh, really? Really? Oh, really? Okay. What would you do if you were me, Pastor? If I was you? Like that? Like you? I'd find another church. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of good churches all around us. Oh, there's all kinds of churches around. They love you. They would love to have you. I'm being serious. I've lived too long. I've learned a few things along the way. I've learned that you try to do everything people tell you to do, you can never please everyone. So you know what? You, and they say, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this. They, they begin to name all these people they don't like in the church. So what do you want me to do? Make them leave for you? Well, I mean, honestly, what do you want me to do? 
what's wrong with them? They're human beings. Human beings have flaws. And I would guess you have one too. In fact, I'd get you have a lot. A lot in there. Come out! No. <laughs> same story, not same story, same chapter, Matthew 17, quickly. It's what happens. The guy brings his son. His son's suffering terribly, throws him to the water. It can't help him. The disciples couldn't heal him. Jesus comes and same thing. But Jesus heals this boy. And the point I'm making is you got a mom and you got a dad who can break into God's presence for their kids. They know how to locate Christ. No, listen, no one's going to stop me. You're not going to stop me. Can't what you say to you. No, no, I'm going to church. I can what you say. And you can't offend me enough to stop me from coming. Can I keep preaching just a few more minutes? Listen to this. I like this. This woman comes. She knows where to find God, but when she comes to God, she doesn't need to repent first. You know, sometimes people go through things, and the first thing they need to do, they need to get their hearts right with God. So I want God to help me. Pastor, but I'm not right. Well, I mean, God's a God of grace and mercy. I already said that, right? But this woman, this, this thing that's happened, it's tragic. She doesn't go, I need to repent. No, and she goes right to Elijah and says, you know, I'm Elisha. She said, I know where to locate God. I need to learn where to find God. I, I'm going to break into God's presence. And sometimes, oftentimes, people, their lives fall apart. They say, Pastor, what's, what's wrong? The first thing they say is, oh, I'm not right. Listen, Mom, Dad, how in the world are we supposed to help our kids when we don't stay Right? How can God intervene in your child, your son, your daughter? And you're not even right. The first thing you need to do is you need to get right. As parents, men, women, young people, it doesn't matter. We all need to take advantage of all that God gives us, all the weapons that God gives you and I, all the things that you and I can have by faith. We need to take advantage of what God gives us. And we all need to contend for a real relationship with God where it's a real reality. It's not, I got to get a hold of pastor. No, no, you need to get a hold of God for yourself. Because the truth is sometimes the great needs in our own family and we can't help them because we ain't even right with God ourselves. That's terrible. But I want you to see this. This is really a, a main part of all of this. Is in our story, she does not lose herself, but rather she has enough sense to want God and want more of God and remain committed to God. Listen, there are many men, unfortunately, and women, but since it's fathers, the men that have created bitterness in their own family by the treatment of their wife and their kids. So what, what, what are you saying here? Well, if you look at it here, you know, I'm talking about you and I just trying to do right. She comes to the preacher. Her husband has died. Her sons are old enough to labor. They could have been very easily not driven to God. When the tragedy happened, they could have had the attitude, you know what? You're this God stuff. We're out of here, Mom. Oh, we're out of here. We're not, we're not going to be able. What are you talking about, empty pictures? We ain't crazy. You want us to go around the neighborhood and ask for empty pictures? No. 
but they still had some faith working in their hearts and lives because the influence of their father, her husband was a good influence, enough that when he's taken out of the way, that's the whole sermon, when he's taken out of the way, what good influence is left behind? Because that good influence left behind is what's going to save them. That's what's going to drive. You know, she, her sons go, Mom, we ain't doing this, Mom. I don't like the church. Never have, I never liked the church in the first place. I ain't going around the neighborhood to collect the empty, empty cans. What for? That's dumb. Some of her sons do. Her mom says, you go collect empty containers. And they do it. Well, I'll tell you why they did it. Because God powerfully worked through her husband, their dad. They saw God enough that even when he was taken out of the way, all influences like this, by the way, when you're taken out of the way, how then do you act and live? Yeah, dad ain't here, but I know what dad would do. So go talk to the preacher. What do you think we should do? I don't know why he's taking that's another question. Here's empty pictures. Go gather it's empty pictures. That's another point. But they say, no, we can. no, they say, well, yeah, we'll do that. Because there was good influence left behind. I didn't say perfect. There are no perfect parents. We're just trying to do the best we can with what we have. Right? Because he left a good influence on his family and on his kids. I remember years ago, I just thought of this. Years ago, I was preaching for a guy. I was an evangelist. The evangelists in our fellowship treat her like rock stars. Well, at our level, anyway. They get to go eat at zapatas. Anyway, <laughs> that's not really the rock star level. But anyway, <clears throat> we take care of them well, as best we can. Except we first started out, I first started out as a man, this is going back 30 some years, this is all new to us. I had friends have me come and preach for them. They'd like to have Alvin, but they couldn't afford Alvin, whatever that meant. They'd call me, you're my generic evangelist. I've had friends of mine to this day, they don't even understand, they still, I brought you in because I can't afford a real evangelist. Oh, I'm a fake one? What am I? You're our generic evangelist. You do a great job at a cheap price. Some of you go, how can Christians think that way? Well, how can you think that way? Some of you got some things to go in there too, honey. Don't think you write them people off. And so I was the generic evangelist. You know how I looked at it? I'm glad to be a generic evangelist. That's the honest to God truth. I said, you can't offend me. You can't offend me. I'll take your generic money too, honey. Uh, oh, Yeah. And if you want to be cheap, God will find a way to bless me. And lots of times I'll go preach places. This happened more than one. I'll go preach for a small church. In the past, sometimes don't have the best attitude towards me. You're my generic evangelist. I've had people come. I, I pray this. God, bring people in the church. Just bless me with money. And sure enough, this, I was preaching this one. I mean, I'm getting off track. But anyway, Lord, give me five more minutes. I was preaching, and I prayed God send people to me. Send people to bless me. Help me and my family. I'm just trying to do what's right in your eyes. And this, this, this lady, uh, her husband, she comes through. She goes to all these tent meetings and stuff. She goes, I feel like God wants me to go to Potter's house tonight. She said, I don't know who you are or what you are. So she came. She was watching me preach. She goes, God spoke to me to give you like, I don't know what it back then. It, was 100, it wasn't much. I mean, back then it was a lot for that time, like 600, 700 bucks. Back 30 years ago, that was a lot of money. She goes, here, just God wants me to give this to you. I said, no, 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 tell the pastor. She goes, I'm, I'm going to. I said, no, I don't take the money. She tell the pastor. She goes, oh, okay, I'll tell the pastor. I said, pastor, I'm going to give him some money. He goes, oh, go ahead. I'm sure he's thinking like 50 bucks, you know, it's like 700 bucks. And afterwards, I tell the pastor, look at, oh, my gosh. I said, yeah, God's good. 
when you ain't, God is. <laughs> but I didn't say that. I just, oh, praise God. You need money to live, right? Not that you, you know, but the point I'm making is God's a good God and, and God supplies. But I'm preaching for this guy. We go out to eat. He's got his kids there. His boy was with us. We went out to eat and he was struggling. Pioneer pastor. Struggling. Had no, hardly no money at all. And I, honestly, I didn't you know, I know it cost a plane fare, the hotel, all that. So I just say, listen, man, just do what you can and we'll just call it God knows. We'll just work together. Don't worry about it. Just, just, just have church. We go out to eat. And he says, Pastor, you order anything you want. So, you know, I'm, if you know me, I'm, you know, I just say, okay, I'll order whatever you get. I'll get something like whatever you get. Okay, I'll get that. I'll get that. Okay. I'll order something. You order something. Reasonable price, right? I don't go, bless God. <laughs> Lobster, baby. Lobster now and lobster to go. <laughs> I don't do that. But um, I order some food. And his son says, his son looked at the menu, ordered some stuff. And his dad said, no, you just get a salad. And I remember that, that. I still remember to this day. That's what I'm saying. It. I saw him do that. I said, God, I never want to treat my kids that way. I want my kids to be just as blessed as the preacher. Just as blessed as anyone else. I'm not going to mistreat my child. So I told the pastor, I said, listen, let him eat whatever he wants to eat. I said, take it out of my love offering. I want to bless your kids. I mean, sometimes that's not how it works. Sometimes we want to bless everyone else but our own family. But he, listen, he left a great influence because when all this came down, they were being driven to ask God for help. So I'll say it like this. How are you and I going to respond when that, maybe it's a godly influence over whatever it might be since I'm talking about influence. What are we like when that influence is not there? What are we going to say and how are we going to act? When that infant, your mom's not there no more, your dad's not there, the pastor's not there no more. Is that influence when tragedy comes to your life? Is that influence enough, strong enough in your life? And is it good enough after it's all done that that influence by the grace of God was good? And I, I hope we all want to try to be a good influence. Can you say amen? amen? That it was positive enough in the work, in the workers, in, in workers, hey, like that, in the darkest moment, it was positive enough that they'd be driven to God because my dad's influence was good. It drove me to God. Won't you bow your heads? On every head bowed, right close, please. Influence. And I think we need to think about our influence today and the influence of how it's going to affect people tomorrow. But my point is that our influence is good, it's godly, that either geographically we're out of the picture, no longer before them, or something, God forbid, for whatever reason, they're not there. That as a father, we'd be, and as a mother, we'd be thinking about the influence we're leaving behind that when life becomes more difficult than we can bear they've seen God in our lives enough that, you know what I know what to do I know where to I can find God I can locate God I can break into God's presence that's what my mom taught me that's what I saw my dad do 
They never give up on the church. Yeah, they got offended. Things happened. Nothing stopped my mom. Nothing stopped my dad. Nothing stopped that young man from coming to church. She knew where to go. She had his address. She knows how to break into God's presence. Do you? You hear this morning, young person, married, couple, husband, wife, fathers. Just very quickly, you're here and you see, God, you spoke to me. Why don't you raise your hand quickly? Yes, I see all these hands. You Here's my hand. Here's my hand. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, 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 yes. With every head bowed, every head closed, maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're in the congregation. You're not right with God. You want to get right, just lift up your hand. Here's my hand. I want to pray and we get right with God. But there'd be one. You need watching me by video and you say, I want to get right with God. Before I pray this prayer, there's parents, there's young men that ministry bothers you. The very ministry God gives you bothers you. If that was your daughter, it wouldn't bother you. You need to pray, God, give me a compassionate heart. God, you need to pray, God, give me a heart of understanding. God, give me a soft heart. There's here, there's people here this morning, your sons, or maybe a daughter that's lost. Mom, if there was ever a day to break into God's presence for your child, it's today. I know that you can't make them serve God. I know that. Maybe they've had bad examples up to this point. You're still here. You can be a good example. You pray this prayer with me, and the those that are watching, you just say this. You say, Dear Heavenly Father, I give you my life. I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for me walking away from you. When everything I believed in was taken from me, I, I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't turn to you for help. I turned to everyone else but you for help. And God, I give you my life this morning. Forgive me of my sins. I'm a sinner. I know that. I know I have sinned. I repent, and I'm going to get right. I accept you this morning as my personal Savior. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. There's parents here this morning. Maybe you're not even right with God. You came because oh, I'm supposed to come, but you're not right with God. Young person, you're not right with God, baby. Let's all stand. These altars are open. Come and make some things right with God. Come and talk to God this morning. Hey folks, I really hope this episode encouraged you to live a more purposeful and intelligent life. If it did bless you, would you share it with somebody who you love as well? Thanks again for joining us, folks. We'll see you next time.